Well, happy Easter. And that is the reason why we're here today. That's the reason why we celebrate. The Apostle Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians 15. If there is no resurrection, uh, then we're pitiful people. In fact, we're very foolish people actually for being here on a Sunday morning. But because he is alive, that's why we celebrate Easter. It's not about those hollow chocolate Easter bunnies. Did you ever get one of those? Right? You're about ready to bite one of the heads off of those dudes and you realize it's hollow and you're disappointed. All right? No disappointment in the real reason for Easter. Right? It is the risen Savior. And we're glad that you have chosen to be with us here at Northwest uh, today. Hey, let me uh, probably not be the first to say, but uh, some of you look really great today. In fact, there's some of you guys I did not even recognize, to be very honest with you. There was this guy between services, and I introduced myself to him and realized he'd been here for five years. He'd just never worn a suit. Some of you ought to clean up more often, you men. You look good, all right? But let's be honest, uh, this is the best you're going to look at church the rest of the year, right? We, we, we know that. We accept that. But thanks for, uh, thanks for being here with us at Easter. Well, just a couple of days ago on Tuesday, a blast at a ticket counter in Belgium uh, changed everything for at least uh, one family forever. In fact, I was interested uh, to read over the last couple days that Alex and Sasha uh, Pinchowski were siblings that were living uh, in Belgium. And they were uh, there uh, living, but they were coming back to New York when they arrived at the departure hall there at the Brussels airport on Tuesday. Now, Alex was actually uh, coming home to meet his fiancée in New York, and they were actually coming this weekend together to a wedding in North Carolina. Uh, Sasha was just simply flying home with her brother, and she was going to spend the weekend with friends, and they were standing there at the Delta ticket counter there in the Brussels airport, and they had actually just arrived at the airport, and when they did, they called back uh, home to to talk to their mom and tell her that they were at the airport getting ready to leave when there was a blast that took place and the phone uh, went dead. Uh, The family learned, in fact, just Friday morning that both Alex and Sasha had died there in the blast at Brussels Airport. You can only begin to imagine the pain that that family felt on Friday morning and no doubt feels on this Easter Sunday. And, And some of us can relate so well to that because... We've been there when death has come knocking. There's something about the news of someone dying that seems so final, that there's no hope, that in fact uh, today uh, is bad and tomorrow will be bad, and it seems as if every day will be bad until our own death comes. And certainly that's the way it was on that Friday before Easter. It seemed... Uh, to Jesus' followers, that all hope had been lost. And on that day, the the scripture text tells us that there was darkness, there was blackness around. And in fact, it was during that time that it would have seemed to all of his followers, and even those that weren't his followers, that death had finally conquered this man who was messing with, with their culture, with their society, that the Son of God had been defeated by crucifixion, just like everybody before him that had been crucified. The Romans were great at crucifixion. They had perfected crucifixion. The only difference 
for this man was that he had done nothing wrong. In fact, that we read in Luke chapter 23, an exchange between the two thieves on the cross, one of them mocking Jesus, reminding him that if he was the Son of God, that he should save himself and save them as well. And you'll remember there the account in Luke chapter 23 where the one thief says to the other, he basically tells him, uh, this is the BIV, the Bryan International Version, he tells him, shut up! Do you not recognize that this is the very Son of God and we deserve to be hanging here for our crimes, but he's done nothing wrong? In fact, Jesus had told them, told his followers, he told multitudes of people that this was going to happen, that eventually he was going to give up his life. Why was that? Because we, as human beings, we have a debt, and it's called sin. And it's a debt that we can't possibly pay on our own. The only way that it can be paid is through a perfect sacrifice, and the only one who met those qualifications was Jesus the very Son of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And those people had had so much hope that that was actually going to take place until that day. Even as recently as a week before, we talked about last week on Palm Sunday, how the crowds came in and they were excited about this conquering hero. And those closest to him, we can only imagine what they felt that day. They had traveled all over the region with him. They had watched as Jesus healed blind people, healed people with leprosy. They had watched as he had interacted with people from all kinds of different backgrounds and diverse uh, cultural situations. They had watched him, and as he interacted with those people, one thing was in common. Those people's lives changed. They were never the same. Now it would seem to those people that that didn't even matter because Jesus was dead and they were scared and they were confused. And here's the really great news of Easter that um, three days in a borrowed tomb of a rich man, Jesus appears. <laughs> and I love what we're going to sing here in just a few minutes that, that, that God had robbed the grave. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That, that's one of those moments where you go, yeah, that's awesome. Feel free to say it, all right? I know some of you are so reserved and refined, but, but feel free at any time to shout anything out that you would like to. God had robbed the grave. And in fact, as we read the account in Luke chapter 24, and you saw it on the video screen, when the, when the women first arrived and they go into the tomb and they say, see the empty grave clothes that are lying there and they can't imagine what happens. And then the angel appears and says, why are you looking for the living in a cemetery? <laughs> He's not here. Don't you remember he told you that he was going to die, but then three, year, three days later he was going to rise up. And I love what the text says there in Luke chapter 24. It says, then they remembered. <laughs> you just remembered. Yeah, oh yeah. They really didn't believe that that was going to happen. All hope was lost. You know, the news of Jesus' resurrection was shocking even to his followers. You say, well, silly them. He told them many times. I think we would have been in the same situation. And most of his followers said, we won't believe unless we see him. In fact, one of his own, Thomas, we read about in John chapter 20. Thomas said, unless I can put my hand into the side where that Roman spear went, then I'm not going to believe. And you see, Jesus understood their doubts. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're here and you have doubts about the reality of who Jesus was, 
that he was actually crucified. And if you have doubts that we today uh, don't worship a God who's dead, but a Jesus who is in heaven for us, if you're here and you have doubts, I want to say to you that that is to be expected. And in fact, Jesus embraced the doubts and the misgivings of even those that followed him. And in subsequently talking about his death and resurrection, he made incredible statements that would forever change how we fear death and how we view death. He said in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have eternal life, meaning life that never ends and life to the max, life to the full, life like you can't even begin to imagine. In John 14, he wrote, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Let a, yet a little while in the world's not going to see me anymore, but you see me because I live, you're going to live also. In other words, what he's saying is in the future, you're also going to have a resurrected body just like mine. Come check it out. Bodies that are never going to grow old. Anybody here tired of their body seeming to grow old? All right, there's a number of you that are. I mean, it's amazing when you hit that 40 mark. I had a friend tell me it was going to happen, and it happened. And then I just hit the 50 mark, and it's happening, right? I mean, our bodies are growing old. We can't do with them what we used to be able to do with them. Anybody have a friend or a family member diagnosed or even pass away of cancer this year? The reality of the resurrection is that one day we're going to have resurrected bodies where we no longer will be bound by these broken down flesh and bones, but we're going to be resurrected. We're going to be new bodies. In fact, bodies that will never die, bodies that will never decay. I wrote this down, bodies that could eat limitless carbs. Isn't that going to be a great day? Convinced when we get to heaven and we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, all we're going to have is carbs. That's all that's going to be on the menu. Just carbohydrates, chips, salsa, the whole deal. We're going to finish up with an ice cream bar. That's what it's going to be. Jesus wanted them to know, because I have this resurrected body, you're going to have one as well. Because I have conquered death, you can as well. I've paid the debt of sin. The receipt is my resurrection. Then John closes his account there in the Gospels by writing this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's some of us here this morning, and you think you have life? You are what Scripture calls a dead man walking. You have never really experienced real life because you've never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And the question is, even 2,000 years later, but can we believe that that actually happened? Can we believe in the resurrection? One scholar said this, after more than 700 hours of studying this subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I've come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men. Or, it's the most fantastic fact of history. It's one or the other. Just real quickly, five reasons why I believe you can trust the resurrection. Number one, the tomb was empty on Easter. That's what the historical record says, not just Scripture. If you were to study Josephus and other historians, you would realize that there was no doubt that the tomb was empty. Lots of theories why it was empty, that Jesus had simply uh, fallen asleep, that he had simply fainted on the cross. You hang on a cross for a while and tell me if you'll just faint. Lots of theories, but here's one fact, that the tomb was empty. You can visit the shrines, you can visit the graves 
of religious world leaders, of icons, and one thing that you will find in common with all of them, and that is that their tombs today are occupied. There's one tomb over in the Holy Land that when we go visit, even with a secular guide, and we say, where are the bones of the person that was there? They say, there are no bones. The tomb is empty. The resurrection can be trusted because the tomb was empty on Easter. Number two, the disciples were almost immediately transformed. They were transformed from men who were hopeless and scared at the crucifixion into men who were confident and bold when they saw the resurrected body of Jesus. Just a few weeks later, Peter would preach at Pentecost, boldly proclaim the gospel at Pentecost. This, this, after a servant girl said, I think I know him. I think I saw him with Jesus. And he ran away and denied that he even knew Jesus. He would boldly preach just weeks later. Paul said that 500, number three, Paul said that 500 others also saw Jesus. 500 people. Imagine 500 people concocting a lie that they had all seen something, getting all their stories together. 500 people saw Jesus on at least 11 different occasions over the next several days. Number four, Christianity would spread like wildfire over the next weeks, months, and years. These were people that the gospel was being presented to who were in a position to know whether or not it was true or not. In fact, in the book of Acts at Pentecost, 3,000 people who would have been contemporaries of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 3,000 people who were in a position to know, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in that risen Savior that day. And lastly, those who were closest to Jesus were willing to die for the cross, and some still do today. Here's the truth of the matter, that every year, every Easter, billions of people across this planet pause to remember the resurrection. And why is that? Because the resurrection, my friends, the resurrection changed everything. It changed everything. When a man comes back to life, it draws a lot of attention, right? I would venture to say that if that happened today, that would be the lead story on all the news networks, on every news website tomorrow morning. If you hear about a man who died, and you can verify that indeed he was dead, and then he comes back to life, and you can verify that indeed he was living, I would submit to you, you should follow that man. There's something unique and special about him. I want to stop just for a moment, and I want you to hear the story of two people right here at Northwest whose lives were changed in incredible ways because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My name is Jimmy Hartsfield, and this is my story. My name is Sandy Russell, and this is my story. I grew up in a, a nominal Christian family, I would guess, and I remember going to church as early as three years old. It's my first memory of getting all dressed up and going to church. Every Sunday, my grandmother made sure that me and my sister, whoever stayed with her in her house, grandmother had a rule, if you stay with her, you gotta go to church on Sunday. And we stayed in church all day. Sunday school started at 9.15, and there were times we didn't get home till 2, 2.30. That's just the way it was. My earliest memories of probably being about four years old and my dad walking out on me, my mom, and my sister. That followed me through my whole life and it really caused me to be on a lot of wrong paths. Put me in a lot of bad positions because I felt like I was just a lone wolf. Yeah, next door to us, there was a gambling house that were 
people went to to gamble, and I was exposed to that at a very young age. I could gamble pretty good by the time I was eight or nine years old. I was drinking by the time I was 12 or 13. And so I was just in some bad situations. And it created a lot of resentment within me. And eventually that resentment passed on to God. And I felt like God had abandoned me and didn't love me. I really feel like God had touched my life at some point in time, but I never really got it. I married a young man who was going into the uh, Air Force. He was due to be called any time. I had gone out to an officer's wife's um, function, and this visitor from California came over. We sat across the table, and we were both nurses, so we were relating. She handed me this little book, and it was The Four Spiritual Laws. And I became very embarrassed and angry, really, when I think about it. It's like, what, what right does she have to present me with this? You know, I was a little, and I, I wasn't rude to her exactly, but I got out of there as fast as I could. And uh, somehow or the other, she managed to get that, give it to me, and I got it in my pocket. So I found it later on. And I left home at a very early age, after high school, 19 years old, 20 years old, I moved out working and met the love of my life. We, we fell in love. We got married, of course, and had kids. Difficult to talk about, but to be completely honest, I'm that guy who got that Dear John letter. And she left. She left. And that was probably the second most traumatic event in my, in my life because my dad had left. And so that brought back as an adult, all those feelings of abandonment and not being loved. And at the time, I couldn't really explore them because I found myself a single parent. And all this time, I was feeling abandoned. And I just kept questioning and saying, you know, I, God has abandoned me and I don't know why. God doesn't love me and I don't know why. I couldn't figure out why. I was 38 years old. I was going to be 39 the next day. It was the day before Easter. And I was sitting watching one of those passion movies, you know, that we watch year after year. And things just started to come together for me. And I went back to my bedroom and I just found myself really weeping. And, and it was like the Holy Spirit came and he convicted me of being a sinner. But I had never thought of myself as a sinner. I was always worse than somebody, better than somebody, you know, it was all that comparative thing, you know, up until then, I guess I didn't really think that, think of Jesus as, he was my friend, I guess, but he wasn't my savior, and when he became my savior, then I owed a great debt. So that was the moment, that was the moment when I really gave my life to Christ, and I've never been the same since then. And I mean, that was it. I mean, that's what I think we all search for, that we know, we really know what we believe, who we believe, and why we believe. And that was the moment that I came to really believe. 2005, I had back surgery. And I got an opportunity to spend a lot of time alone doing those recovery hours. I really thank my grandmother for making me go to church when I was a young kid. The word did not depart from me. And I could just hear God talking to me and just, and, and I just realized that God hadn't abandoned me. That actually I had abandoned him. That 
God didn't stop loving me, that actually I had stopped loving him. I, I did have some friends, Jack and Kathy Hoon, who had introduced me to a, uh, a very bright young preacher, uh, Matt Rice. And it, he, he was talking about, you, you're always in a storm. You're either about to go through a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. It just was so clear to me that all through my storming past, that God was there. He was there. It's just, I didn't see him, I didn't recognize him. And even at times where I thought I saw him, I just didn't want to look at him. And I just just felt like, okay, everybody's abandoning me. My dad, my ex-wife, God, well, you have two. And I came out of that storm and I knew then that I wanted to serve God and ask God for forgiveness and to be a Christian for the rest of my life. I knew that. And I talked to Matt about it. I wanted to get baptized. And he, Matt Bryce did baptize me on a cool morning. It was, it was pretty cool. And I went down a certain person and came back a new creature in Christ when I came up out of the water. My name is Sandy Russell. My name is Jimmy Hartsfield. And today I celebrate new life. And today I celebrate new life. That was the 10th time I've seen that video. Now I'm looking at Matt Rice crying, and now I'm going to do it again. I'm telling you, that right there is why the resurrection matters. It matters because you could be here this morning, and your life in your eyes could be meaningless. And yet with Jesus, your life has Meaning it has purpose. What's here is not all there really is. Eternity waits. The resurrection matters because your past can be forgiven. The fact that a man named Jesus lived on this planet, was crucified, and three days later rose from the dead means that that everything can change and everything can be different. Romans 5 says that at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. That's me for sure. It's probably some of you. But verse 8 said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't care what you have done. There's some of us that, that think, I've gone too far down a path. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've experienced in life. You don't know the church that I grew up in and the stuff that I heard and the legalism that was there and the constant pounding on me. I want nothing to do with this Jesus. I've gone down a different road. I don't care how far down whatever road that you've gone. It doesn't matter. Christ still paid for your sin debt. Here's what I've come to the conclusion uh, just this week. And I, and I wrote it down because I didn't want to get it wrong. After, after listening to a lot of other things this week, I wrote these things down. I think one pastor uh, that I listened to this week said this, and I just love it. Jesus is not in love with the future version of you. 
Some of us, our problem is that we've heard this book talked about and that somehow if we can clean ourselves up, if we can dress ourselves up just right, if we can stop doing this and start doing this, that somehow Jesus will find that person acceptable. That's not true. Jesus is not in love with the future version of you. He loves you where you are today. Not for who you should be and not for who you pretend to be. He loves you for exactly who you are right now. The resurrection matters because our past can be forgiven. Number two, it matters because our present problems can be managed. I don't know if you're like me and you look around our world and even our political situation and and the terrorist attacks and all of these things that's going on. You can't help but just sometimes just lay in the bed at night and go, what in the world? What is this? And this life for most of us is filled with anxiety, with fear, with disappointments. Jimmy shared his story so well, the disappointment of a dad walking out. And then the disappointment of a, of a wife that he had dreamt about. This is, this is what I want. This is my life. And then she tells him, it's over. And when I first heard his story, I'm thinking, what kind of a lady can walk out on Jimmy Hartsfield? I mean, he's awesome. The disappointment, the pain. We live with depression. Some of you, you've been there just this week. With a sense of loss. So many of us are haunted with regret about things that we've done in the past or wish we would have done that we didn't do. And here's the bad thing. There's nothing that we can do to change it right now. And so it haunts us every single day. Many of us have experienced the futility of chasing after things that we thought if we, if we get this stuff, if we accomplish this, somehow there'll be meaning, there'll be satisfaction in my life. And yet we come to the end and we find out that there's still something missing. And there is. It is a relationship with the resurrected Savior of the world. That's what's missing. Lastly, the resurrection matters because our future can be secure. It's interesting to note that it's always mattered to human beings that there's more to this life than just living here and then dying. Most of us have have never been content to assume that what we have on this planet is all there really is. We have a deep desire inside of us to know that there's something more than this earthly life. And I believe God's placed that into the hearts of all of us to have this interest in eternity. In fact, Job said, he asked the question, if a man dies, shall he live again? Solomon became frustrated when he came to the conclusion that he chased after everything only to find out that it was all foolishness. There's got to be something more, and there is. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And whoever believes in me will never, ever die, but will live for eternity. Jesus does change lives. Let me ask you this morning as we close, would you be open to the fact? Just be open to it. Whether you decide anything today or not is not necessarily my point. But would you, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, would you at least be willing to be open to the possibility that Jesus could change and transform your life? That God could bring meaning and purpose into your life. You see, the fact of the matter is, we've said it several times this morning, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. We've all, according to Scripture, we have missed the mark. And as a result of that, we've accumulated a debt that we call sin. 
And it's a, it's a debt that we can't possibly pay on our own. No matter the, the good that we do, no matter all the pleasure that we try to bring to our Creator, we cannot do it alone. We can't pay that debt. We've been devastated. We've hurt those around us. And contrary to the culture around us, we're not basically good people. We're just not. But here's the truth. God's a good God. And I love that. We see the holiness of God and we see the mighty hand of God. And this is not a study of the attributes of God. But we see that side of God. But we also know this to be true. That God loves us. In fact, Scripture tells us that he loves us so much that he wanted to make it possible that we'd have a relationship with him. And so he sent his son Jesus to this earth to suffer, to bleed, and die on a cross. That's Good Friday. So that three days later, he could give us the receipt, which was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He canceled the record of our sins. He took it away by nailing it to the cross and then rose again to set us free. Here's the truth of the matter. God will forgive you. He'll be your God. He'll hear your prayers. He'll change your life. He'll lead you into a future that has meaning and that has purpose. And yes, one day all of us are going to die. That's why it matters for eternity's sake. What you decide about Jesus now matters for all of eternity. When you do die having a relationship with Jesus Christ, the scripture, scripture record is very clear. Jesus said it himself. that we're going to see him face to face and we're going to spend all of eternity with him in heaven. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, this morning, I believe some of you is extending the hand of friendship to you. He's inviting you to come into a relationship with him. And for some of you, that relationship needs to begin here today. For others of you, you just need to be open to the fact that maybe through his spirit, he'll do a work in your heart and he will convince you of who he really is. That he did what he said he did and then three days later, he did what he said he did and he rose from the dead. You can receive forgiveness this morning by trusting in him alone as your Savior. He'll forgive you. He'll change you. He will love you, with you. Love you. He will walk with you. He will encourage you. He'll listen to your prayer. He'll enable you to live with purpose. And it all starts when you begin a relationship with Jesus. That, in short, really short, that's what Easter's all about. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here this morning. That's why I do what I do. Because I believe those stories up there, I know that man sitting in the back right now pushing those slides, Jimmy Hartsfield. His life was transformed, was changed. He's never been the same because he invited Jesus to say, can you change even a guy like me? Even a guy like me who feels like I have no purpose, like I've been abandoned by everybody in my life, can you come into me? Can you have a relationship with me? And Jimmy did that, and he's a testimony today that Jesus changes lives. My friend Sandy was in the first service. <laughs> Let me tell you, I think what just tears me up is that 40-some years later, she still says it was, it was two days before Easter when everything changed. And if you've had interaction with that woman, I'm telling you, Everything, I'm sure, changed that day. And she has never forgotten it. She's never been the same because Jesus Christ invaded her life and made her a new person. 
I'm inviting you to consider the possibility that Jesus Christ can do the same thing for you. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for Easter and I thank you for what it's about. I am 100% convinced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am so convinced that I pray not to some a stone image, not to something made of wood, not to some good man who lived hundreds or thousands of years ago, that we pray to a risen Lord, to a risen Savior, who we believe has the power to change and transform lives. If you're here this morning and, and you're just considering the claims that Jesus has on your life, I, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, even just right there while you sit. Why don't you do this? Why don't you acknowledge to God that you're a sinner? Acknowledge that you have a debt of sin that you can't possibly pay on your own. Acknowledge that he sent his son Jesus to die for that sin debt, to pay the debt that he did not owe, to pay the debt that you couldn't pay on your own. And place your trust in Christ alone as your Savior. Tell him you want him to be your Savior, the Lord of your life, to come and invade your life and give you purpose and meaning in life. I invite you to do that this morning, to consider the possibility that Jesus could change and transform your life. If you're willing to pray that prayer this morning, even as I close in prayer, would you just slip your hand up right where you're seated this morning? Just slip it up, put it right back down. I'm the one that's going to see it. There you go, all over the place. Slip it up, slip it back down. Thank you. God, you saw the hands of those that just raised their hand and said, God, I, I want you to come into my life to change my life. I have, a, I have a debt of sin that I can't possibly pay on my own. I'm trusting in you alone as the Savior for my sin. And I'm staking my claim that you'll do what you said that you will do. You will invade my life. You'll make me a new person. You will change my life. And I no longer have to be fearful of death or what tomorrow may hold because I know my eternity is secure because of what happened at the cross and because of an empty tomb. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, welcome to the family. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, if you pray that challenge and if you say, God, change my life, be ready because something incredible, incredible is going to happen in your life when Jesus becomes the savior of your soul and he invades your life. You're gonna have meaning and purpose like you've never had before. You're gonna have life to the max, life to the full, just what Jesus promised. And God, we thank you for those that have done just that this morning. And we say welcome to the family. I pray that in the, in the, even in the hours or days or weeks to come that they'll identify themselves as being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, having trusted in Christ alone as Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.